Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Lieutenant Joe. And today we're going to talk about the safe return to school and work after COVID. Now, this is an important thing for us to consider because we are all starting to come back together. There's no doubt about it. We're seeing that offices are opening. We're seeing people are going back to work. We're seeing lots and lots of different things going on where people are starting to reconnect. And it's important that we reconnect safely and securely. Is there a concern for safety? How many active shooter incidents have we seen recently? Well, the statistics tell us very clearly that there were 61 active shooter incidents in the year 2021, when we were just starting to open up. In 2022 alone, since January, there have been 22 active shooter incidents in schools where 24 children have died, if not more. We saw the attack at the food store in Buffalo. We see this everywhere. It's, it's happening all the time. So what I've tried to do is put a program together where we can talk about that. The return to work and school after COVID. Today's tragedy comes just one day after a new FBI report finds active shootings are on the rise, up more than 50% this year compared to last year. Investigative reporter Cheryl Mercedes taking a closer look at that report tonight. Cheryl? Glenn, this annual report details 61 mass shootings that happened last year. And according to the data, Texas and Georgia had the second most behind California with five incidents in each state. This FBI report detailed how 2021 saw the highest number of deaths since 2017. 103 people were killed, 140 people wounded in 61 active shootings in 30 states last year. 32 active shooter incidents happened in areas the FBI referred to as commerce environments, like grocery stores and manufacturing sites. 19 happened in open spaces, like highways and public parks. Three happened on government property, two at schools. The report also highlights the time of day the shootings took place. The data shows an active shooting is more likely to happen between 6 a.m. and 5.59 p.m., with most of them happening in the middle of the day. The agency also released stats on the shooters. Last year, all but one were male. 18 were between the ages of 25 and 34. 24 fell in the 19 to 24 age group. Two of the shooters were 18 or younger. The report also uncovers what happened to the shooters. Nearly half were apprehended, 19 were killed, and one is still at large. And in all 61 incidents, the FBI says the gunman acts alone. Mia? So... As we see, active shooter incidents are on the rise. What is different in those statistics, I think, for anybody who studies this, is to realize it's, it's about 50-50 that the shooter survives. Most of the time, they take their own lives or most of the, or the other 40-something percent. The other 40 percent, the shooter uh, is taken out by armed security or law enforcement. Uh, very few actually survive the incident and turn themselves in in that, in that report that we saw from the FBI, 19 were taken alive. Uh, we saw the uh, Buffalo shooter was taken alive. 
And again, we just saw in um, the most recent shooting at the parade, the subject was taken alive. So there, these incidents change and we, we have to be prepared as people come back. One of the things that I had said early on, I wrote an article for Camp to Safety magazine. It's an excellent magazine if you want to read some tremendous uh, articles about safety and security and everything to do with uh, campus life, colleges, high schools, any type of school. So I wrote an article back in May of 2020 where I thought after being apart, you know, we, we settled for 15 days, right? We were going to, you know, shut down for 15 days to flatten the curve. Uh, and we ended up uh, staying much longer than that. By May, we thought we were going to go back to school in June. And knowing that one of the number one traits that we find of, of active shooters, there is, there is no profile of a shooter, but there are some traits we can look for. And the number one trait is isolationism, feeling like they're apart from, they don't belong to their school, they don't belong to their workplace, they're not a part of that. Uh, and saying at the time, gee, we, we shut down in March and uh, we're going to come back in June. That's going to affect a lot of kids really difficult, make their lives difficult. People, all of us. Uh, and it, I, I predicted there would be more shootings. And as it turned out, that is exactly what has happened. And the statistics are showing as we come back, uh, we have a lot of problems and we need to be really aware of all of this. So the active shooter incidents are on the rise. We're going to talk about COVID and the return to life. And the question is, are you prepared? So I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangar. I'm a 27-year veteran law enforcement officer. We all know that, right? We've talked about that. I'm the, I was a director of school safety and security. I'm an FBI-trained hostage crisis negotiator. Uh, I'm homeland security-trained threat assessor. I'm an author, and I'm a columnist. I write lots of different things, trying to keep people safe and secure. So this is where we're going we're gonna to dig into this a little bit and figure out what can we do to keep ourselves safer. All right, so the first question I have to ask is, are you your organization, your company, your school, your summer camp, anywhere people gather, are you safe at work? Is your facility safe and secure? Are your employees, customers, uh, and other people there safe in your buildings? Do we think they are, or do we know they are? There was a statistic I saw a couple of years ago that I thought was interesting and frightening at the same time, if you're interested in this kind of business uh, and helping people, is that 69% of organizations do not have any kind of real plans or responses for violence at the workplace. And we have to all be aware of that uh, as we go forward. So that's the question, ask yourself, are you safe at work? Is your facility secure? Are your employees, customers, visitors, everyone who's gonna be there, are they safe in your buildings? Danger we know is possible wherever people gather. This is, this is what all of these events have told us. The statistics from the FBI shows commercial places, schools. We know religious facilities have had these. So these statistics that we all just heard in that report are all real, and they affect every one of us. Uh, active shooter and workplace violence is on the rise, and 2022 is on pace to be the most deadly year on record. There have been 22 uh, active shooter incidents already. So we have to be very, very careful going forward. All right, so some of the most recent ones, Uvalde, Texas, which there's a whole, whole set of facts going to come out of Uvalde. What we have to do, anytime there's an incident like this, we have to look at, look at the situation for lessons learned. And what are we learning here? Well, on the face, we haven't had all the facts yet, but we've had enough to make some decisions. It looks like this was a complete failure of law enforcement to respond properly to this. Now, when you say law enforcement, does that mean the individual officers in the field or does that mean the leadership 
of the agencies. It kind of looks like the, the chief of police of the school district who said, I didn't think I was in charge. Well, who else would be in charge? You're the chief of police of the school district police department. So that's my, my first question. I mean, if I was that in that position, I would think I'm in charge. I'm on scene. This is happening in my school. Uh, I would be in charge and take command. Then we see, we see that he said, well, he thought it had evolved into a, a hostage crisis situation. Is that real? Yes. And, and when we train law enforcement, we train them. They have to be aware of these, these, these changes that can take place. But when, when we find out that we had kids in the classroom who were calling 911 for help and the messages either didn't get to the chief, he ignored them, didn't pay attention, whatever happened. We knew that it was still active and they should have gone in. And it was a terrible, terrible tragedy. And there are going to be a lot of lessons learned. And we're going to talk about Uvalde a lot in the future. I right, have about Buffalo, New York in the grocery store. This was a twofold kind of attack. This was an active shooter attack, but this is also a race-based attack. We know that the young man attacked people in the store because he believed there'd be a lot of African-Americans there, which, which makes it doubly painful. That's people would be targeted just because of their race. But we saw, was this, was this food store, were they prepared to respond? Were their employees trained? I know a friend of mine works for a very large uh, food company uh, like this, like the Tops place here. And he called me and said, hey, would you do training for us? And I said, of course I would. Active shooter training, de-escalation, of course, that's what I do. And I got a call probably as we were trying to set it up about three, four weeks later that the management said they have a security director. And the security director is going to handle it. Well, that was good. That's fine. You know, internally, if you have someone, use them. Unfortunately, the security director they had didn't have a lot of experience in any of this, and he did not train them properly. And to this day, I don't know that they ever received the proper training. So you have to ask yourself, whether you're a food store, you're an office, a warehouse, a school, are you training your people properly? Have you made sure that they have the right kind of training, physical, mental training, so that they, they can do the right thing? Do they have the right equipment to, uh, to survive and, and make it through one of these events? And then we had the Highland Park, Illinois parade. Now, I heard one comment from a prominent uh, former NYPD uh, executive say, how come they, they didn't have the high ground? Why didn't the police have the high ground? Well, a couple of things. If you're in a community that doesn't have a lot of crime, and this was a high-end community, they didn't have a lot of crime, would they expect someone to climb on the roof with a rifle and attack people down at the parade? I'm going to say, in honesty, they probably never even thought of that or considered it, which is why they didn't have the high ground. The lesson we all learn here, if you're going to have an event like this in your community, then you had better consider the high ground. See, we learn a lesson from every one of these things. And sometimes we have to look when we're planning and you have to plan not just for what you can what you can imagine would happen, but things you couldn't imagine what you know, that's where you sit around with your team and you, you talk this out, you work it out. You try and figure out, OK, what I what else are we missing here? Well, we have a lot of high buildings. What if somebody got on top of a high building and shot down? Good idea. Well, how are we going to uh, deal with that? What would we do? All right. So it's all about planning on the part of schools, businesses, religious facilities and for law enforcement and to work together. So we've had a lot of high profile things happen in a very short period of time. So let me ask this question. Um, I've been teaching about this for a long time, talking about it for a long time. And let me ask this question. When and where will the next active shooter incident happen? Now, the reason I ask that question is because when we look at these events, uh, there were 61 in 2021, okay? 61 active shooter events in 2021. 
real active shooter events, not uh, events uh, of mass shooting where somebody kills nine people in their family. It's not an active shooter. Active shooter is somebody shows up to attack a location, a building, a school, and they're killing as many people as they can um, purposely for the purpose of just killing, regardless of their grievance. So when you think about 61 locations out of all the locations we have in the United States, think about that. The chances of you being involved in one are very, very small because, you know, 61 out of the millions of locations here in America that we have, um, the number's small. And I say, okay, so th this is what pushes a lot of people to say, well, it'll never happen here, which I say is the most dangerous thing anyone can ever say when they say it'll never happen here, because what's the chances? I mean, it's such a slim chance. But the reality is I ask this question, where will the next active shooter incident happen? Where and when? Somebody just tell me, email me, raise your hand, scream at the camera, whatever. Tell me where and when the next one will happen because I will go there and I will prevent it. I will be a hero because you're going to tell me where it's going to happen in advance, right? Well, the problem with that is that for 15 years, I've been asking that question and I've never had anyone raise their hand and tell me where. I'm sure in Sandy Hook, they never thought they would be the location of a horrific attack. Columbine, this food store, they, nobody ever thought they would be the one. So when you look at it that way, the reality is, while statistically the chances are very small, the reality is it's 50-50. Either you will be involved in one or you won't. So therefore, you have to take precautions. You have to prepare so that you can respond. Now, do we live paranoid? No, we can't live paranoid. But what we can do is be aware and prepare. Look at our facilities, look at our training, look at our equipment, actually interact with law enforcement, do some real drills at your place, whatever your place is, to make sure your people are safe and can properly respond. All right, so now let's think about COVID-19 and violence. What effect has COVID-19 had on the potential for violence? Well, this is where we, we have to answer that question. We have to, to understand, uh, to answer that question, we have to understand what might drive a person to violence. And like I said earlier, there is no specific profile of an active shooter. There are traits we can identify. And one of those traits, the number one trait, is uh, that a person feels a sense of isolation. They feel apart from the group, whatever that group is, their school, school kids, school classmates, their coworkers, uh, their people in the church, the, the synagogue, uh, the, the mosque, it doesn't matter. They feel separated. They don't feel a part of that group. That's the number one trait that we see in all of these people, uh, whether, whether it doesn't matter the kind of place. So what we have to say now, COVID-19 did what to us, okay, as far as this particular trait? Has COVID isolated us as a society? Well, the answer is clearly yes. I mean, that was the purpose of my article. The article I wrote was in, it was in um, May of 2020, when I thought we were only going to be separated for two months. And my understanding of, of this specific trait was that after two months, I thought that would be a lot for people to, to really uh, be, show up on the radar as potentially violent that maybe never would have before, but because of that isolation whatever was going on at home that they were stuck there every day or their thoughts that were going on or whatever it was, we would come back in June of 2020 and there'd be more violence. Well, we didn't come back in June of 2020, did we? No, we just barely came back in 2021. So that isolation has been much, much, much more uh, pronounced, much more difficult. All right. And this is the article. This is just a picture of it. And you can see May 15th of 2020. 
is when I wrote this article, uh, ready to face the security and safety concerns when students return. And this is all, all of us at workplaces everywhere. This is the exact same factor. And that was my concern then. And it's certainly a concern now, and it's being played out in real time in real incidents that are happening. So the FBI statistics make it crystal clear for all of us, doesn't it, that every location people gather, your schools, your businesses, your house of worship, your warehouses, your theaters, your parades, everywhere we can grow, we can get together, is now a potential place of violence. And we have to consider these things seriously, whether you're in a small rural community or a gigantic place like New York City or Los Angeles. You have got to be prepared uh, to, to see what's going to go on. And that means you have to understand some things about these attacks. Right, so this is a, a typical workplace um, event. And what happens here, as you can see, um, for those listening on the podcast, it's going to be hard. But this is uh, for those who are watching the webinar, you'll be able to see what happens here in a typical kind of workplace. This is an untrained office and an active shooter. And what we have is we have a car rolling up to this building with a, a middle-aged kind of guy in it. He parks right in the parking lot. It's out of the car and he goes to his trunk. Now you can see he's a little, he seems to be a little upset and he, he removes a rifle and what appears to be a bomb and a handgun. And he just walks away from the car towards the building. Now he gets to the building and he's going to go in. Is the door locked? You can see he's thinking about it. He's staring and in the building he goes. No barricade to him whatsoever. No buzzer, no guard, nothing. He just walked into this office building. Now he sees someone he knows. And that person, who are you? What, Larry, what are you doing? And Larry shoots him. Now, was that the right response? Now our guy's going to another office and he just walks right in and confronts the secretary. He shoots her. There was nothing to stop him. He activates his bomb. He's got a bomb with him. And he activates this bomb with a timer on it. Looks like a minute or to go. And he's looking for somebody. Well, some people run. One woman working there freezes because we fight, flight, or freeze. He puts down the handgun, picks up the rifle, and he's looking potentially for a guy named Michael, maybe the owner or the business owner. Somebody tries to talk to him. Well, you can't talk to someone in this kind of a mindset. And he shoots the person. Well, this noise, the gunshots, uh, brings Michael out of his office where this man stares at him. We now know someone has called law enforcement because we can hear the cop cars showing up. And the shooter does what money shooters do. He took off and he decided to end his own life. which is, like I said, 50, 40, 45 to 50% of the time they kill themselves. Um, the other 50% of the time, normally they're taken out. There's been a couple of big incidences recently that we just talked about uh, in Parkland uh, high school shooting. The shooter took off his, his uh, outer garments, dropped his gun and, and left the building. In the event down in the Maryland newspaper, the man went in, killed people that he was upset with. Then he dropped his gun and hid under a desk, you know, uh, maybe thinking he would be taken out like uh, all the rest of the victims, but they knew him. So the question is, and the reason we have that video and the reason why I put that video together was so that we can see a typical office that's untrained, how people responded. What was the equipment like? What was their security? And what can we learn from that, uh, that clip? So we have to ask ourselves some things. Was anyone watching that parking lot? 
Was there any any eyeballs on that parking lot by security, whether it would be virtual uh, guarding, which is a, a, a remote guard can watch when there's events triggered by cameras? Were there physical security officers there? Were the doors locked? Did you have to get buzzed in if you had an appointment, right? You have the bu- I'm here to see Bob or something, right? You can see who the person is at the door. Was there any security whatsoever? Did they have surveillance cameras there? Were that tr- was the staff in that office that he attacked prepared to respond? The first guy that got killed, he saw a guy with a gun. That's a shocking thing. And he knew the guy, Larry, Larry, what are you doing here? And Larry killed him, right? So that's being prepared mentally. That's what I'm talking about. We have to think of these incidents and how would we respond to these incidents? Okay, so that's what we can learn from that clip, right? So once the killer got inside the building, um, you know, we want to see like the man who knew him, Larry, Larry, you see a guy with a gun, that's going to be shocking to you if you've never seen it. And here he is carrying a rifle and a gun and you see him and you, the guy that got killed was, was obviously not sure what to do. It, it seemed out of place because he never considered, what do I do if I saw a guy with a gun and a rifle in the building? Would I stand there and talk to him or would I run? The other person that didn't really know what to do was the guy in the office. Uh, hey, Larry, Larry, calm down. What's going on? Larry, what's going on? And he got shot and killed as well. Do you talk to these kind of people? Can you talk to an active shooter? Can you deescalate an active shooter? Well, not from a position of weakness like that, standing up right in front of the guy with the gun. And that's where training of your staff, what to do when they see someone like that, when they see the signs that someone is potentially violent. He walked right into that office as well, didn't he? He walked right in the door and the secretary at the front door, can I help you? And he, and he killed her. Why wasn't that door locked? And the door covered with some kind of, uh, well, you could do bulletproof, which is very expensive, or you can do um, what they call uh, glazing, which the bullets would go through it, but the glass wouldn't drop and the, the door was locked. It would take two minutes or so for somebody to get through that door in two minutes. You can call a lockdown. You can save yourself. So that clip teaches us a lot about uh, what went on. So I I hope my narrative for those who couldn't see it helps to understand what went on. No one was prepared. There was no security. The doors were not locked. Uh, No one did the right thing. And as we see, uh, quite a few people ended up getting killed. All right. So you can't talk to a person who's an active shooter. Uh, You want to secure yourself uh, and then uh, try and get away if you can. And we'll we'll cover all of that as we go on. So when we talk about this, the, the, the concept here, one of the concepts we need to talk about is that time equals life. We need to prepare to respond. And that is why having equipment in place, having security in place, having people trained, all of those kind of things helps slow down the clock. And that's what we want to do. We have to have time to respond. And when you have time to respond, you can save life. You can lock down, you can flee, you can prepare, you can do all kinds of things if you have uh, enough time to do it. If you don't, uh, it's going to be chaos. Uh, and that's that's some of the things we need to understand. But time equals life when it comes to active shooter incidents. You have to be prepared. Now, I'll tell you a story here. Uh, there was a friend of mine, um, Mike Davis, and I had taught Mike and a bunch of other people in his company about how to respond when they hear funny popping sounds, right? Because that's what we hear all the time. People say, I heard a funny popping sound. Um, well, that funny popping sound, unless you work in a fireworks factory, uh, and there's not normally funny popping sounds in your environment, you should consider that's probably gunfire. Uh, so that was one of the lessons that I had taught Mike and, uh, and the people in his company. And Mike told me he was on vacation uh, last year in Arizona, and him and his wife were eating at an outside 
a restaurant. They were sitting at a table outside of a bunch of buildings. You know, it was, it was an urban kind of an area, but it was nice. And they heard these funny popping sounds approaching. And his wife says, oh, you think that's a parade or something coming? And Mike says, I don't know, but there shouldn't be no funny popping sounds. Let's get out of here. And him and his wife climbed over a three foot concrete wall and took off around the corner. They left their food and they took off. Well, good thing they did, because less than a minute later, around the corner comes a guy with a, uh, an AK-47 and he was lighting up the tables where people were sitting. And Mike uh, absolutely attributes his surviving that incident to knowing what to do. He was prepared, right? He wasn't paranoid. He was aware and prepared and he heard a stimulus. He heard something that got him going and he decided to take off. Time equals life. He got out of there. And I think he probably saved his life and the wife and his wife's life. So we can all do that if we know what to do. All right, so the question then, we, we know these statistics we now, we know we're all potential victims. What is it that we can actually do? Can we do anything about this at all, really? Well, there, there's a lot we can do. We can prepare, right? And, and I'm going to try and give you some, some tips on this. An article I wrote a while ago was based on a lot of questions that I got from people. People were asking me, okay, Lieutenant Joe, what is it I can do to prepare myself? What can I do to respond? How do I know, you know, what am I going to do and what equipment do I need? Right. So, okay. How do I encapsulate this and make it uh, something that people can digest easily? Um, it's very difficult to, uh, to sometimes do that. Um, but I tried to boil it down and what I came down to was a, this article called the three pillars of survival. I, to secure our facilities, we have to do three things. And this is the three pillars of survival. We have to prepare, we have to be able to communicate and we have to be able to notify, right? So preparation, communication, and notification are the three pillars of survival. And we have to be able to uh, deal with each one of them. And if you do, if you deal with each one of these three things, uh, well, well, there's many components in each one, but if you deal with each one of these three things as best as you can, you will have a more secure environment wherever you are. All right, so the first pillar, right, that is preparation. And, and what do we do? What do you, what do, you do to prepare? What's, what, what is this preparation? What's it mean? It means getting a physical threat assessment, a threat vulnerability and risk assessment of your facilities. Have somebody like me come in and look over your facilities and see where are your weaknesses? How many points of entry do you have? You let people come and go? Are doors locked? Just like in that video clip that we watched, right? Are, are there doors, are there security? What do you have in place? So that's the first thing. Understand your weaknesses. Next, you train your staff to identify potential danger and how to respond. Just like my friend, Mike, he heard funny popping sounds. He said, hey, I was trained. I don't know. We should just get out of here. And turns out he made the right decision, right? And then we have uh, get the right equipment is the part of preparing. Get the right equipment in place to help you respond and survive because there's lots of equipment out there in the world that can help you. Uh, there are visitor management systems. There's cameras. There's uh, sensors. There are virtual guarding. There's all kinds of things that can help you make your place more secure if you put them in place. And then the final part of the preparation is you need to practice, right? You have to have good plans and policies, the right equipment, trained staff, a good threat assessment so you can overcome any weaknesses you have. And then you need to practice, practice real drills of value, right? Something that has a little stress in it, makes people get up and move so they know where they could actually go if there was a shooter. Uh, where could they hide? Could they lock down? Could they fight back or could they flee the building? So all of these things are extremely important in the preparation phase. So we're going to take a break for a second. Uh, and then when we come back, um, 
I'll talk to you a little bit more. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Surely if you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. So you can listen in on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulvidone iodine-based nasal spray Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. Many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 120 times per month. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains full effective doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day, pill-free, ultra-absorption ingestible gel. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code AMERICA50 for 50% off any order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code AMERICA50 for 50% off. Okay, welcome back, everybody. We talked about the first pillar of survival, which is preparation. Get a physical threat, vulnerability, and risk assessment, train your staff, get the right equipment in place, and then practice. That's, that's, that's preparation. That's how you prepare your facility and your people. The second pillar is communication. How do you tell everyone in your facility that there is danger, right? How do you tell everyone what to do to respond to that violence? If you are in control of this building, you're in charge of, you're an official there. What do you want people to do? Do you want them to evacuate? Do you want them to lock down? shelter in place. What is it they should do? How are you going to communicate that? Say you're in a, a large office building or a school and somebody, you're on the second floor and you look out the window and you see somebody approaching with a weapon, with a gun, guys carrying a rifle coming towards your school, your, your warehouse, your business, whatever. How does that person who sees that notify everybody else in the building? How do you communicate that danger? Oh my gosh, there's a guy coming. We should lock down. We should do something, right? How do you do that? Well, there's equipment out there that can help you do that. There's lots of different things out there. Do you have radios in place? Do you have those kind of things uh, for your people to talk? Do, do you have, uh, what do they call them, uh, uh, intercoms and stuff? Do they actually work? You know, one of the things I see in a lot of places that they have the intercoms on the phones in every office. You pick it up and you got to dial like 19 numbers to get a connection. 
Well, in a situation like that, when people are stressed, when they're all upset, they're not going to remember 19 numbers. That's got to be something simple. Star one, one star, something very simple. Um, there are there are devices that you are uh, software you can put on on phones, on cell phones that you can set off lockdowns. There are uh, building equipment that you can put around. You hit a button and it automatically calls the police and puts the building in lockdown. Uh, there are things that you can hit buttons and it closes doors, locks doors, turns on cameras, all kinds of things. You need to explore the kind of equipment that's out there to protect you. And that's the second pillar is communicating to everybody in your facility that there's danger and we have to respond. Right, the third pillar is notification. How do you call police or security? Right? If you have on-scene armed security and they're going to respond, that's great. But if you have a large campus, if you have a large place, how does somebody on the second floor know that there's somebody at the front door shooting up the building? We don't always know that. So what we have to do is we have to be able to, uh, to notify people, right? So that's the communication part. The second pillar, now you find out about it. How do you notify your leadership? How do you notify the police? Well, again, there's lots of different communication devices that can help us do that. Uh, there are, you know, those blue light, um, those blue light things at the colleges. Well, there's a brand new one. Uh, being created right now where you hit a button and it hands you a cell phone that automatically connects you to security or connects you to the police, whichever you decide. Uh, so you don't have a million choices and you can say what it is. There's a button lockdown or a suspicious person, whatever it is. Then you take that phone with you when you run, right? So, and you, you can hang on to it and you keep communicating. It can record video and photographs. So you start to develop a, a, a what happened. So that's how you can notify. So those three pillars, if you cover those three pillars, right? Preparation, communication, and notification will go a very, very long way to helping you secure your facility, right? What can we expect? What can we expect when we go back, when we come back full-time or as we continue to come back? Well, like I said, we can expect that there might be people we never anticipated might be violent who might be now because of this lockdown of all the stress we've all been under. Everyone has a little bit of PTSD, I believe, because of this. Uh, some, some are more affected than others, uh, but I think that's one of the factors that isolation, PTSD, the, the st which stress is still going on now. Take a shot. Don't take a shot. You'll die from the shot. You won't die from the shot. All of these things are out there. Uh, and that's causing stress on people's lives. We see in many places, they don't want to come back to work. They're afraid to come back. And that's going to add more stress. Uh, these stats tell us that these are on these incidents are on the rise. We have to make safety and security a priority. Every single one of us has to make safety and security a priority. We can't just say it's something we'd like to get to, all right? We have to be able to do the right thing. So the first step, your first step, Lieutenant Joe, what's my first step? What do I do? I listen to what you said, and now what do I do? Get a quality security assessment. That's the very first step because you don't know where you're weak. You need to understand where your weaknesses are so you can close those security gaps, right? Get your people trained. We talked about that. Have good policy and procedure in place and get the right equipment in place and practice your response. So that's the first step, get a good assessment. So you know, gee, I need to put in new cameras. I need to put in a visitor management. I need to build a vestibule. I need to hire security. Whatever you need to do, that assessment is going to tell you where you're weak and how to close those gaps. All right? So look at your facility. Look around at your facility now. There should be secured doors and, if possible, one way in and one way out to control the flow of people. So recently I was talking to my bride, Mrs. Lieutenant Joe, and she says, well, what about one of these big schools or big facilities that they can't have everybody go out one door? They have to have a couple of doors where people come and go. Sure. Have somebody watching, have security at that door. 
make sure it's not just an open door, right? People have to be buzzed in or there's security there to watch or do something, virtual guarding, whatever, right, is what you have to do. Someone needs to be watching any open or closed door so that we can see if somebody comes in as a threat, if they approach, if they're a threat. And then harden your facility, right? Harden your facility, look for safety and security things you can do. You can add equipment, uh, training, all that is to harden your facility. But go back and look at your facility today. When, we're, when you're done listening to what I'm saying, go back and take a look. I conduct realistic training programs. Your managers and your staff should be well, well-versed on the emergency plans and policies and procedures. If you don't have them, get them, right? Lots of places don't have them, or the last time they looked at them was, you know, after 1985, they blow the dust off them. They should be updated. They should be good. Conduct tabletop training exercises with your people. Get your, your, your management team together and talk out a problem. What if somebody showed up uh, at work and they threatened somebody? What would we do? What if we heard that the person had a gun? What if there was gunshots in our facility? What would we do? Right? Talk these things out and have your policy and procedure match them. And then remember the three pillars of survival. Run live drills run live drills that really matter. Use role players to come in and kick this event off. Maybe they scream and holler. Maybe they wave a gun around. Now your people should all do what you've trained them to do, whether they lock down, whether they flee, or whether they fight back uh, under you know realistic conditions. We're not going to actually have people hitting each other in drills, but we want to be able to see our people get up and move. Where would they go? Where would they lock down? Do they have places to lock down? And you want to remember for real training, for training to be really effective, especially emergency uh, response training, it has to be uh, stressful. A little bit of stress has to be in there and it has to be realistic so that your people learn to be inoculated to fear. Because just like in the video, uh, everybody ran except for one woman. She froze because the reality of humanity is we fight, we flight, or we freeze. And if we've never practiced, we don't have any idea what to do. We're overcome when we see a weapon or we see violence taking place. We can freeze and freezing often means death. So keep that in mind, conduct realistic training programs. Some equipment to consider, some equipment you should consider in your facility for emergencies. Visitor management systems. Do people use a fob to get in? Do they get swiped in? Do you have somebody who actually buzzes them in? When would you let them in or not let them in? Do you have radio communications? Do you have camera systems in place that can see? We have to be able to see the danger coming at us. Uh, if we can do it. Virtual or human guarding, right? Virtual guarding is an amazing thing. You have IP cameras that uh, will watch an area, uh, busy or not, at nighttime, whatever. And when, when something happens, it's, uh, an event is triggered. Somebody walks up to the door. It notifies a, uh, an, off, an off-scene security professional who's trained. They look at the camera. They can talk to them through the equipment. Hey, what are you doing here? What do you want? They can lock the building down. They can open the door if they had to. So virtual guarding or human guarding on scene, right? When you have guards on scene that actually do the same function. How about a weapons detection system like metal detectors? When people come through, wouldn't it be nice to know somebody has a, some, something metal on? You could stop and, hey, what is that in your pocket? So there's all kinds of stuff. And then there's security sensors. Uh, there's some sensors out there that you can scream, help, help, help. And it will send alerts to whoever you tell it to. Um, that there's a problem. It, there's gunshot detection. Same thing, sends alerts. Gunshots in hallway six, right? Those, those would be good things. So these are the kind of equipment pieces you want to consider, right? And one of the things I talk about, we cannot prevent all violence. That's a reality. But we can be prepared to respond to it. As a matter of fact, there, was, there will be a liability. If anything happens in your facility, any kind of an event with violence happens in your facility, there will be uh, some type of 
uh, lawsuit, right? Especially if someone gets hurt or someone is killed, there'll be serious lawsuits going on. And when you get to court, the court's going to ask you the first question they're going to say is, could you have imagined that this would have happened in your facility, your school, your business, your religious facility, whatever, your warehouse? Could you imagine somebody would have come in and done this? And the answer in 2022 and beyond is that, yes, of course, everyone has to be aware. That's what these statistics are telling us. Everyone that where people gather, they have to be prepared that there could be violence. So the answer to that would have to be yes. The next question the court's going to ask you is, okay, so what did you do about it? Right? How did you try to make this environment safe for your staff, for visitors, for customers, for students? You have an obligation to make a safe environment as possible. Now, everybody understands that if someone is bound and determined to hurt you, they're going to be able to hurt some people. And the bottom line with that is that's, that's a scary thing about this kind of situation. Uh, people may die. People may get killed. But the reality is we can do some things and we're supposed to do some things. So the very first thing you do is if you get a threat assessment, which tells you, here's where I'm weak and here's where I'm strong. Now you make a plan. Well, I don't have so much money to do everything the plan says I need. That's okay. What do you do immediately for free or low cost? You do that. Then next year you budget maybe for cameras or you budget for visitor management or you budget for virtual guarding, whatever it is. And when you get asked by the court, what did you do? You say, I had an ass a threat assessment. And we tightened up all the areas we could. We updated our policy. We trained our people. And we have a roadmap to enhance our security equipment over the next five years. That step alone is going to limit the number of zeros you write on the checks you're going to have to write. Now, nobody wants to talk about that. But if you're an owner of a building, if you are a school board, if you are uh, a religious facility, this is a reality. This is a reality. Not only is it going to be the horror of losing people, the pain of losing people or people being injured for the rest of their lives, you, you could be wiped out financially because you didn't do the right thing. So get an assessment, get a roadmap and start putting things together. And that's going to help you with liability reduction. All right, so remember the questions that we talked about. Now, I know I went fast here, but everybody, everybody's time is precious and they're all busy. So remember this question. When and where will the next active shooter take place? Does anybody know? Lone wolf violence uh, from lone wolf terrorist, organized terrorism, employee violence, outside person attacking you, your school, your business. When and where will it happen? Do you have any idea? No, you don't. So you got to be aware and prepare. All right, we can't be paranoid. We have to be aware and prepare. Aware, it can happen. It can happen. Chances are small, but we have to be prepared. So what can we do? And think about yourself. Will it be you on the podium after an event explaining what you did or what you didn't do at your facility? Is that going to be your job? Do you want to be that person at that podium to say, this is horrible, but we did the best we could. We saved many lives because we did the right things. Or are you going to stand there and say, well, we didn't have enough money to do anything. We, di we didn't think it would ever happen to us. We didn't really realize. Do you want to be that person on that podium when that event takes place? So I want you to think about those questions. When and where will it take place? What can we do to prepare ourselves? And what do you want to say after an event? Hey, we did the best we could. We saved as many people as we could. We made the safest possible environment we could with the assets that we have. That's really the key to all of this. All right. So I want to thank everybody for your time. I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for listening. Um, if I can ever help you, you can reach out to me. 
you know, Lieutenant Joe, uh, Jay Pangaro at truesecuritydesign.com. You can email me. Uh, but this is uh, this is an important thing for us to talk about, and we need to we need to consider these kind of things as we go forward. So, be safe out there. Be aware and prepare. Remember the three pillars of survival, and do what you can uh, to make your place safe. All right. So, with that in mind, let's now take a look. Uh, you know, because we know we like to look at the world and see what's going on in the world and and how things happen. Um, so, I'm gonna I'm gonna say. One of the one of the things we see in the world besides the active shooter incidents that are taking place is we see our government. And what is our government doing? Uh, well, recently there was a new gun law signed into into place. Um, we see that the president has reacted uh, with the Congress. Uh, they you know it was bipartisan uh, to do some things. One of the things we talk about is the uh, the red law, the red what are they called the red flag laws. I've talked about red flag laws um, quite a bit, and it does seem like that might be a good idea. You know, somebody demonstrates they're they're potentially mentally ill or they're violent or whatever, and you go and remove their weapons. But like I have said, the problem with um, with doing that is that we can also find people who are anti-gun, don't like the Second Amendment, don't want anybody to have their guns can certainly use it against you. Now, we look at New York. New York was just told by the Supreme Court of the United States that their uh, their gun laws were inappropriate. They were uh, non-constitutional. You cannot have all of these 53,000 restrictions on who can protect themselves by carrying a concealed weapon. So we're seeing that states all over the country now are having to open up and allow their citizens to carry concealed weapons. Well, New York, uh, a state that's uh, you know very, very much against um, very much against the Second Amendment and people carrying weapons and, and all of that. It's a much more liberal place, New York, no doubt about it. Uh, the governor and the legislature now is trying to find ways to get around, do a work around the Supreme Court decision. So what are they doing? They're saying, OK, well, uh, you, you'd be allowed to carry it, but you can't carry it on the street. You can't carry it in a government building. You can't carry it on a beach. You can't carry it in a restaurant. You can't carry it here. You can't carry it. So basically, what they're doing is saying, okay, yeah, you have a right to carry a weapon, but not in these places. And they're listing just about every place they can possibly come up with so that you technically cannot carry a weapon. Now, what's going to happen is somebody's going to carry a weapon to one of those places. They're going to get arrested for exercising their Second Amendment right that the court says they're allowed to exercise. And that person is going to have to fight back. And it's going to go to the Supreme Court again. And what's going to happen like happens often in these events, is that when the Supreme Court has already made a decision and said you have a right to carry a weapon uh, or whatever it is, uh, and then the state comes up and tries to countermand that with another set of laws, like a workaround, they will come down harder on the state. And then you will see that there can be no restrictions on where a person can carry a weapon, uh, which, uh, yeah, and that's, that's a little far-fetched, but the reality is this is what we're seeing. Uh, and these red flag laws, one of the things that they're asking for in New York um, is they are asking that um, that people have to give up their social media. They have to give up their social media sites and where, where do they go on social media? Um, what's going on with their social media? Now, here's, here's, here's my imagination. Um, if you are a person that has no problems um, and you're on social media and say you said something like, um, I think 
the January 6 riots that took place in Washington were wrong because no one should have committed violence against anybody. And those people who uh, who hit the police and, and got themselves into the buildings, trespass into the buildings, they should have been arrested. But I understand why people were so upset. That's your social media, right? You, you, you're saying that the, the event was bad, but you can understand that people were really upset um, with what they thought might have happened to the election and what, what was going on, whether it was right or wrong, right? Now, if that's on your social media and I look at that and I say, oh, well, you can't get a gun permit. You can't carry a gun. Uh, absolutely not, because um, you said something that we think is violent. We think what you said there is is potentially violent because you're uh, talking to, um, to to these people. So we think maybe you're dangerous. So you should not be able to have your weapon. Now, if that happens, um, that could take a lot of people that can remove them from their guns. They can come and take your guns away. So it is that's the reasoning that the red flag laws can be abused. And I, I think I said this in a previous uh, episode. I talked about it. It certainly can be abused by those people who want to abuse it. So that is a concern. What else is going on? Well, let's see, we see Elon Musk. He's in, in kind of a, an argument war. You know, big, big, he's a big mouth guy, Trump's a big mouth guy. Um, they have high profiles. They're used to doing whatever the hell they wanna do. Uh, so they're out there yelling and screaming at each other. Uh, you know, what did Trump call him? He said, uh, Elon was a BS artist or something to that effect. And Elon said, you know, Trump's too old to run, go away. Does it really matter what these guys say to each other? Who cares? It, it's it's free speech. But it's interesting that we do have such high profile people um, going against each other like that. Will Trump run? I don't know. Um, who's, who's, who's the guy, Morris? Uh, Morris, he was the Clinton aide and he's, I can't think of his first name. It's driving me crazy. But Mr. Morris, uh, who was an aide to Trump, a high end aide to Trump, he has come out and said, yes, Trump is absolutely running. Um, it's just a matter of when he's going to announce before the 2020 elections or after. So let's, what would be the right time to announce that? Well, we already know that the abortion decision came down and that has probably um, motivated a lot of people who would not have been motivated before to go out and vote. Like right? people on the left seem to be very depressed Biden has came out today. There was a poll. He had a 29% approval rating. Now, somebody with a 29% approval rating is, is done. You know, they have no, they're not going to have any power. Nobody's going to do anything they want to do. But if uh, we, he thought, I guess he thought that this uh, abortion issue would drive people to the polls. I don't know that it will. I don't know that people can pay five and $6 a gallon gas and $22 for a pound of hamburger and not be able to pay their electric bills and go, well, I'd rather be able to, you know, uh, terminate pregnancy than to be able to afford my life and send my kids to school and put clothes on our, on everybody's backs. So I don't know how much effect that's actually going to have. Um, but it's interesting. The other thing that's interesting is that we know uh, because the oil and gas has been, uh, curtailed. The pipelines were shut down. You know, well, there's 9,000 leases that they could be doing. Well, you know, you, just because you have a lease on some property doesn't mean that there's oil on that property. And it costs millions or billions of dollars to go there and test drill to see if there's any oil on that property, to see if it's worth your time and your effort to spend those billions to get the oil out of the ground. When there are places that they know there is a lot of oil that they could be drilling for and they're not permitted to. So that is one of the many reasons that our gas is now five and $6 a gallon. And our president, 
uh, has been going around asking people that have a lot of oil to please increase their production. OPEC, Venezuela, he's been running around uh, asking for oil, you know, sell us oil, this and that. People are turning him down left and right because he's kind of a lame duck because he's got no power. He's only got a 29% approval rating. But what's interesting is that he had this big uh, flare up with uh, the leader of the Saudi Arabia, of Saudi Arabia. And he said he called him, he called him some terrible names. He would never deal with them. And now he's going over to, uh, to Saudi Arabia and he's going to talk to all these countries and try and get them to increase their oil production, which would ease things here a little bit. There'd be more, more oil on the market. The price goes down. Well, gee, why don't we get our own oil? Like we had under Trump. Why don't we have more oil than we need so we can export it and price will come down? No, no, we can't do that. But I digress as a man with a grievance often does. So the president is over, he's going to go over and he's going to talk to the people in Saudi Arabia and basically beg them to increase their, their production. And they may or may not. But there's an interesting development. Uh, the Saudis have started the, uh, the LVI uh, golf tournament, right? They, they've started their own league. Uh, and that's taken a lot of the players from the PGA, the Pro Golf Association in America. I think that's what they're called, Pro Golf, PGA, Pro Golf. That's what I think. Um, they've taken them away and they've signed contracts with this Saudi LVI, which stands for 54. It's, it's actually Roman numerals, LVI, because what I learned on another show today, uh, Mark Simone's show, I'll give him credit, was that 54, the reason they call it LVI and the number 54 is because 54 is the perfect game in golf. Uh, if you score a 54, that's like the best score you can possibly get in golf. Uh, and that's why they named it LVI. Interesting little fact. Uh, thank you, Mark Simone. Uh, the other thing is uh, we see that a lot of these American players are jumping ship and they're getting contracts with LVI, golf, for millions of dollars. And the PGA is very upset by that. They don't want their golfers going over there. So they're doing some things in the background to try and um, – keep the players from going there, trying to prevent the league from maybe coming here, whatever they're going to do. And now we see just before President Biden goes to Saudi Arabia to beg for oil, we see the Department of Justice has launched an investigation into the PGA, who's going after the Saudi league, the LVI league, because they're going to look and see if they've done any unfair activities. So wouldn't that send a message to the leader of Saudi Arabia, who's trying to do this league that, uh, Hey, look, we're, uh, we're knocking down the PGA. We're going after them for you. What can you do for me? Right. Is it, is it an unsound concept? No, it's a quid pro quo. Hey, look what I'm doing for you. What can you do for me? Is it ethical? It's not ethical. And it's not right to go after your own country's uh, people and events going after the, the PGA. I, I don't think that's right, unless they've done really illegal things, which I don't think they have. Apparently, they said something about back in 1974, they had a similar type of problem, and it was dealt with. You know, they dealt with the players and all of that. So interesting things going on around our country. I'm going to conclude today um, just by talking a couple minutes to kind of kind of put a cap on, on the active shooter thing. Uh, I'm going to be doing a big program on Uvalde and what happened in Uvalde because we're still getting facts. Facts are still coming out. Uh, it clearly looks like the law enforcement uh, team there, the leadership, not the men and women on the ground because they have to follow orders, right? They don't go in. You don't go, you don't just go in when a chief tells you don't go in. Um, 
The problem is there were a lot of problems with the response and that came from the leadership and that came from maybe from their training. I, I don't know, but it's, it's dripping and drabbing out. We still don't have all the facts, um, but I'm going to be doing a program on that. I'm going to do uh, some research. I'm probably going to write some articles about it. Um, and then we're going to go from there and uh, put on a program where we, we really tear this up. I'm probably going to be doing something with Campus Safety Magazine on this as well. Uh, I write for them a lot. So I think we're going to try and get together uh, maybe a webinar, uh, some articles, whatever. Uh, so I'll be putting that together because we really need to learn the lessons from these things. It's terrible that, that those children, uh, the teachers that were there that were killed are dead. It's terrible that the people in the food store were killed. It's terrible people at the parade were killed. And what can we do? Well, going after people's guns uh, is, is not really the answer. Coming up with red flag laws that, that can be abused is not really the answer. The answer is understanding who these people are. And when we see that there's a potential problem, we have to be able to investigate while protecting the rights of every citizen. So it's not a simple it's not a simple answer what we're looking to do here, but the reality is there are things we can do and we need to consider it. So I'm going to tell you, consider your safety and your security. Consider the safety and security of your children's school or college. Consider your workplace. Consider your house of worship. What are you doing there? What are they doing? Are they doing anything to secure the location? Uh, there are things that they can do, as I talked about uh, earlier. If you have any questions, don't hesitate. Reach out to me. I can certainly help you because we're all in this together. Right? Safety and security for each one of us is no joke, especially in this modern world. So I want to thank you all for being here. And uh, remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem.